Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Our text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are uh, continuing through a sermon series that we began just last Sunday called Life Together, Living in a changing community. We're taking six Sundays to explore this topic, and the reason we're doing that at this point is because of the uh, very obvious changes that have been and are taking place in the life of this church surrounding the opening here of our new sanctuary. Um, It might surprise you actually to learn that when churches grow and get bigger, what often tends to happen is that people get less involved. Uh, It's contrary to what we would expect. I think there's more people here. There's clearly going to be more people involved in ministries, more people involved in service. But it doesn't always work that way. And I think one of the reasons why that is is because people come and they see that there's a lot of people here and they draw from that the conclusion that, therefore, all the ministries of this church must be well-staffed. People look around and they see there's all kinds of people here to do all kinds of ministry. Apparently, I'm not needed. Uh, Sometimes people are a little more intimidated, perhaps, by a larger congregation, and so that makes them a little reluctant to get involved. Uh, I'm not saying that's necessarily happening here at New Life, but it does happen often as churches grow. And so that's why it's good that we're considering the topic uh, this morning that we're looking at. Another reason why sometimes people don't get involved and serve in a church is because they haven't been taught about what's called spiritual gifts. And that's what we're going to be concerning ourselves with this morning, spiritual gifts gifts. What, what do I mean by that? What, what is a spiritual gift? First of all, a spiritual gift is not like a natural talent. I mean, everybody has a variety of natural talents. Some people are good at math. Some people might be good at volleyball. Some people are, are good at woodworking. Uh, that's not what we're talking about, not a natural talent. Nor am I talking about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is present, should be present in every Christian and is developing in every Christian. The gifts of the Spirit are different. Spiritual gifts are, I'm just going to allow a guy named Jerry Bridges to define them for us. Here's how Bridges defines the spiritual gift. It's an ability given by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform the specific function within the body that God has assigned to each of us. That's a spiritual gift. So to kind of put this in broad perspective, here's here's the way it works. From God's perspective, from before the foundation of the world, he plans our salvation. He chooses us to be his own. And then he sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to come and lay down his life to purchase, redeem, ransom for himself those that God has chosen. He sheds his blood. 
He cleanses them from sin. He rises from the dead and then sends his Holy Spirit to open the eyes and soften the heart and give sight to eyes and the the ability to hear to our ears so that we can grasp the gospel, receive it, and become Christians and become born again in the Spirit. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit, in every case, with every Christian, he gives a spiritual gift, at least one gift, and then sometimes uh, many gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to those that he opens eyes, softens hearts, and brings to faith in Jesus. And so my question to you this morning as we prepare to explore this topic is, do you know, Christian, what your spiritual gift is? And if you know what it is, are you using it? Those are two different questions. For some of you, this might be a new topic, wondering what spiritual gifts are. Some of you might know what spiritual gifts are, and you're very well acquainted with what your gifts are, but but you're not using them right now. These are the two things that we want to explore uh, this morning. Now, spiritual gifts are uh, dealt with in actually a number of different passages in the New Testament. We find uh, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4 all explaining what spiritual gifts are and how they function. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 12, and this is one of the most foundational passages on this topic. And in fact, the whole chapter deals with this, but we're only going to read verses 1 through 11. And you will notice the emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit uh, in this passage, that it is the Spirit of God who gives gifts to His people. So I'm going to read these verses now. If you'd please stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word, 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And we have this passage on the screen as well, if you don't have a Bible with you. 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God in heaven, we do ask for your spirit. We are in need of your spirit. As we just sang, Lord, we need you. And we need your spirit to open our eyes to properly understand this passage. So 
Be present with us as your word goes forth now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, three things that I want to show you today from this passage about spiritual gifts. And uh, you will notice that nearby there is a spiritual gifts survey. So yes, we are going to get to that eventually, but don't uh, look through that uh, until we get to that at the end of the message. I'm going to explain to you what that's about. But uh, the first thing I want to show you from this passage is, is this, that God gives gifts to every Christian. Because I'm guessing that this is uh, maybe something that some of you might think. You come to a church, you see certain people doing certain ministries, and you think, oh, so-and-so is so good at this, and -and so-and-so is so good at that. I'm just not that good. I don't have any gifts. I don't have anything to offer. And what we learn in this text is that God gives gifts to every Christian. So we see clearly that this is the context in verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts. Paul says. But if you look at the end of verse 6 and the start of verse 7, here's where I get my point. He says there's varieties of activities in verse 6, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And then verse 7, to each, to each Christian is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each Christian is given a gift of the Spirit. Now, let me give you some background here to what Paul is writing about, the situation that he's writing to. At the, um, he's writing to a church in Corinth, and it seems that Paul is answering questions that have been submitted to him. That's why verse 1 starts with, now concerning spiritual gifts. We think he received a letter from the Corinthian church. They asked a number of things. One of the things they asked about was spiritual gifts. How do we practice spiritual gifts? How do these work? So now Paul is saying, okay, let me answer that question. And one of the reasons that the Corinthians, we think, were asking that question is because spiritual gifts were an occasion for a lot of division and dissension in in the church of Corinth. And we see that if you go back to chapter 1, don't go back there now, but the book opens in chapter 1 with Paul saying, there are some of you who say, I am of Apollos, and some of you say, I am of Cephas, and some of you say, I am of Paul. And what Paul is noting here is that in the Corinthian church, there were these divisions and these factions and these people going after certain leaders and thinking that they were better than other Christians in Corinth because of the leader that they happened to follow. And apparently when it came to spiritual gifts, something similar was going on. People were feeling very superior and very prideful about their gifts. And that probably occurred more with regard to the more public gifts or the more spectacular gifts, maybe with the preaching, teaching gifts, um, certainly with maybe miracles and uh, tongues. And those who were practicing those gifts were apparently feeling superior and that those who didn't have those gifts were feeling like they were in competition. And it was creating this division. And the, the point here that Paul is making is that, friends, every Christian is gifted. Every Christian. And so from that comes these two implications. One is this, and I'm speaking to Christians here, because again, this is something that the Holy Spirit gives to Christians. Non-Christians don't have spiritual gifts. 
Non-Christians have natural talents, of course, but that's different, as I mentioned, from a spiritual gift. So I'm talking to Christians here. Christian, your gift is important. And the reason we can say it's important is because your gift comes from God. And he makes this very clear here in verses 4 through 6. Look what he's saying. He's saying there's a varieties of gifts, he says. So, you know, there's all kinds of, of gifts. There are some spectacular public outward gifts, and then there are some smaller gifts. But in every case, they all come from the same Spirit. And then in verse 5, there's a variety of different kinds of service, but they all come from the same Lord. In verse 6, there's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, we have to pause for just a moment and notice the Trinitarian emphasis here. Do you see that? The same Spirit in verse 4. The same Lord. The word Lord is commonly used in the New Testament to refer to Jesus. And in verse 6, the same God. And that word is very often used to refer to God the Father. So we have this Trinitarian emphasis, but it is this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from whom comes every spiritual gift in the church. So what Paul is saying here, it's not like some gifts show the Spirit more than others. It's not like lesser gifts don't show the Spirit quite as much as the more public gifts. The Holy Spirit is at work in the gift of preaching just as much as the Holy Spirit is at work in those who are serving in the nursery, just as much as the Holy Spirit is working in M. Aldridge as she goes about every single Sunday giving hugs to everybody that she can find. That comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And it is a gift that is just as central and just as important as all the other gifts. That's what Paul is making here. Every gift is important. Even the gifts that just that don't seem to some to be that big of a deal, even the gifts that seem private, even the gifts behind the scenes, even those who are preparing for the pitch-in meal, even at this moment, behind the scenes, the small gifts, behind the scenes gifts, those matter. By way of illustration, <clears throat> this is uh, Dizzy Dean. Uh, Major League Baseball pitcher from the 1930s. And as the story goes, <clears throat> very famous pitcher. Uh, in 1937, he was pitching, and the batter hit the ball. It was a line drive and hit Dizzy Dean right in the foot and broke his toe. And so he had to remove himself, and he tried to heal. And what happened is he came back into the game a, a little quicker than maybe he should have, and he found that his toe, his broken toe, bothered him so much that he had to shift the way that he was preaching. So he adjusted the way he threw. But that adjustment ended up bothering his arm. And it made his arm sore. And it had such a negative effect on him that it just tore up his arm and ruined his whole game. And by 1941, he had to retire. And it all goes back to his toe. Now, you know that Paul goes on, starting in verse 12, we're not going to get there, but he says, the body is one and has many members. Paul uses the body as a metaphor for the church. He uses the human body as a metaphor. And later on, he says this, 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts that seem, it doesn't say they are weaker, the parts that seem to be weaker are indispensable. <clears throat> Friends, you have a gift. God has given you a gift. And you might think it's a weak gift, it's a small gift, it's a tiny gift. There's so many others who are so better at me at this. What I'm telling you, what Paul's telling you, is that your gift is indispensable to this body. It's needed. We need your gift. Your gift is important because it has come from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it's absolutely indispensable. Well, Paul goes on. Not just is your gift important, but your gift mix is unique. I'm saying gift singular as if we only have one gift. I think many of us have a mix of gifts. Your gift mix is unique. Did you notice that? Again, in verses 4 through 6, the emphasis on the word variety. Now, there are varieties of gifts. Same spirit. Verse 5, there are varieties of service. Same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God. That There's a great variety of gifts that God has poured out on his church. You know, the word diversity is one that is highly valued by our culture. And we hear a lot about diversity and how we should all pursue diversity. And some of us have had to receive perhaps diversity training for certain uh, mistakes that perhaps have been made. I want you to notice here how Paul is emphasizing the presence of a real and proper and good kind of diversity that should be present in the Christian church. It's a diversity of a variety of gifts and talents and abilities and passions that God in his generosity dispenses throughout the church to different people so that we all bring something different to the table when we come to the church. You know, I, I think there are some people probably who do not want to become Christians and they don't want to get involved in the church because they're afraid that if they do, they're going to have to give up entirely their sense of individuality. individuality. They look and they see Christians and they don't always like what they see. And they don't like the way they dress, maybe, or they don't like the music that they listen to. And they think, if I become a Christian, i got to be like him, or i got to be like her. And, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to give up those individual emphases, passions, and talents that I have. And I want you to see here that you don't have to. You don't have to give up your individuality. individuality. In fact, what it is to become a Christian and to discover your gift your spiritual gift and your spiritual gift mix is to discover your God-given individuality. When Jesus saves, he sends his spirit to give unique gifts so that each of us can have a unique contribution to the body of Christ. Ray Steadman wrote a book called Body Life and said this. He says this to you, Christians. You are unique unreproducible, and irreplaceable. In all the universe, there is no one who looks exactly like you, thinks your thoughts, 
or feels your feelings. Above all, there is no other Christian in the world who is equipped and gifted like you. Christian, you have a gift. Have you ever thought of yourself as a gifted individual? You are a gifted individual. You might not know it. You might not know what your gift is. Your gift might be lying dormant. It might be lying untapped inside you, but it's there. And what we want to do as leaders of the church is to help you discover it and to bring it out of you and to enable you to use it in service to God's kingdom. Friends, there are few things in this life that are more rewarding than doing what God has designed you to do in service to his kingdom. And if you haven't discovered that, we want to help you with that. So God gives gifts to every Christian with no exception. Second thing to look at, God gives gifts for the common good. Now, I can anticipate that maybe some of you who are paying close attention and been listening here last week in this might be saying at this point, wait a minute now, Bob, you're talking about individual gifts and unique contributions. I thought you guys didn't like individualism. You guys are always talking about how we ought to emphasize the, emphasize the body and the community and the corporate nature of the church and that we shouldn't be focusing so much on individualism because that's something our culture emphasizes, but as Christians we shouldn't be so individualistic. That's true, but, but let me explain. The, the Christian faith offers this this wonderful balance between unity and diversity. In the Christian faith, these two things go together. We find it in the, the nature of the Godhead, right? The triune God. We have one God, unity, who exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's diversity. And they go hand in hand. We don't emphasize the unity at the expense of the diversity. We don't emphasize the diversity at the expense of the unity. If we do emphasize one or the other, we have problems. If we emphasize unity too much in the church, then everybody's conforming, everybody's exactly the same, and things just frankly get kind of boring. Too much unity. If there's too much unity, there might be too much central control. Totalitarian states tend to emphasize unity too much. Everybody's got to dress the same, look the same, do the same thing. That's too much unity. But if there's too much diversity, then you have chaos. There's no foundation. There's no direction. There's no guidelines. And our culture, in many respects, emphasizes diversity too much. Just anything goes. Relativism comes from an overemphasis on diversity. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, we're seeing that there is a nice, healthy balance between the two. I just emphasize the diversity, the varieties of gifts that God gives, but look what he says at the end of verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, what? For the common good. There's a unified purpose for which God has given all these gifts, for the common good of God's church, the kingdom of Christ. There's one goal that all these gifts are given uh, to pursue. So let's go through here and consider each of these gifts briefly uh, that are listed in verses 8 through 10. Paul goes through and he 
mentions gifts one at a time. I'm going to try to explain a little of what these gifts are. Um, there's a lot of disagreement, honestly, among commentators about what all these gifts actually might have involved at the time. <clears throat> but um, let's, let's take a look at these. First of all, Paul talks about the gifts of wisdom and knowledge. That's in verse 8. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. Now, the gift of knowledge, I think, is pretty much what we're thinking it is. It's just the ability to process information, the, the ability to retain it, uh, the ability to organize it in our minds and understand it. Uh, in context here, probably means the ability to understand biblical revelation in particular. The gift of wisdom, a little different. The gift of wisdom is the ability to take that knowledge and then apply it to a particular contemporary situation. To say, okay, the Bible says this, and what that probably means for you in your marriage or in your work situation or in the particular predicament in which you find yourself, it probably means you ought to try this and probably better not do that. That's wisdom. Uh, there's a guy that I seek a couple times of year, uh, a couple times a year to hang out with uh, a guy named Dave Dively, who was a stated clerk at a former presbytery we were involved in. He's a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, and he has just always struck me as a man of unusual wisdom. And so, two times a year, I just drive down to Southern Indiana and I meet with Dave Dively and I buy him lunch and I sit there for three hours and ask him questions <laughs> and listen because I perceive that he is a man who has the gift of wisdom. And that would be something I would recommend to you, to all of you, to find someone in the church you look up to, you find that they are a person you think is gifted with wisdom, and learn from that person. So wisdom and knowledge. Paul also mentions the gift of faith in verse 9. To another is given faith by the same Spirit. Now, Paul, I don't think, means saving faith here because saving faith is given to every Christian. Nobody is saved without faith. Spiritual gifts are given in different measure to, to different Christians, as we'll learn here in a moment. Uh, so I don't think saving faith is in view here. This is a different kind of faith. This is the kind of faith that is, in, that, that is able to see something that just seems impossible, something that seems maybe outlandish to most people, but this person with the gift of faith is able to see it, and they're convinced that God is going to provide, and even though it seems impossible, they know that God is going to be faithful, and they move ahead with this new ministry or this endeavor of whatever sort, they're not afraid, they're not anxious, they're just convinced God's going to provide and they go ahead. People are looking at him and they're saying, that guy's crazy. And yet it works. And God provides. George Mueller, perfect example of this. In the 19th century, George Mueller was given a vision to start a bunch of orphanages in England. And he set himself out to not ask for any money. And yet God consistently and repeatedly provided for him financially. He never had to go into debt and by God's grace was able to provide housing and support and education for more than 10,000 orphans 
in England. That man had the gift of faith. Not everybody has that gift. I mean, it, we don't have to feel guilty because we're not out starting orphanages. God doesn't give the same gift to every person, but he gave to George Mueller a tremendous gift of faith. Verses 9 and 10, the gifts of healings and miracles. See that in verse 9? To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles. So uh, this, I think, is pretty self-explanatory. Healings, we read in the New Testament that Jesus and the apostles were able on some occasions to heal the blind and to give the lame the ability to walk. Um, Probably refers to exorcisms, the... um, Removal of demons from the demon-possessed. This might refer to certain abilities to exert control over certain natural events, healings, and miracles. Now, certainly a big question that comes to mind at this point is, uh, do these gifts continue today? Do people have the, the gift of healings and miracles? I mean, do we need to start a... Um, a miraculous work ministry team here at at New Life? Well, that's a big question. There's a lot of different opinions on whether these gifts continue. I, I will point this out. I think certainly it is true that God can heal anytime He wants and that God can perform a miracle anytime He wants. And He does that And I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact, just to keep things in perspective, that the greatest miracle of all, friends, is being born again by the Holy Spirit and becoming a Christian. That's a miracle, that Jesus Christ would come, live, die, be resurrected from the dead, and then people whose hearts are stony and hard and resistant to Him would be changed so that these hearts now love Him and want to submit to Him and want to devote their entire lives to Him. People radically changed that's a miracle. So do those miracles happen? Of course. Those miracles happen all the time, all over the world. Does God heal people? I think certainly that happens. Um, We've been hearing in the news about the Ebola outbreak, and we know there was a a Christian man, I think he's from Indianapolis, who got Ebola, and is now free of the disease, as far as I understand. Uh, God did that. God healed that man. Uh, Certainly, God works in that way, heals. We should pray for healing. We do that every Sunday when people are sick. And we pray to God, please heal so-and-so of their disease. I think the question here is, do certain individuals have a gift of healing so that if we're sick, we can go to Tom or Susie and say, because you're really good at healing people, now I'm going to submit myself to you and ask you to heal me. Do people have that kind of gift? And I want to suggest that there is something very different about the day in which we live now and the day in which this passage in 1 Corinthians 12 was written. Because in the early church, in the first century, God had appointed certain individuals that he called apostles and leaders of the church, and he appointed them for a very specific and special and unique task. That is that they were 
to testify to what Jesus has done. They were to testify to his resurrection. They were to write that down in the scriptures so that Christians throughout the centuries could read and understand what God has done for us in Christ. These were very unique and special individuals. And in order to draw attention to those individuals and the special work that they were called to do, God gave them special gifts, like the gifts of healing and miracles. And so look at 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So what Paul seems to be doing here is saying that one of the signs of a true apostle is that they're able to perform wonders and mighty works, healings and miracles. Now the office of the apostle is now ceased with the New Testament having been completed. And so the need for miracles and healings to be given to a specific person is not as significant as it was in the first century in apostolic times. So I don't look for people to have the gift of healings and miracles. I'm not saying that God never does it. I'm not saying that no one since the New Testament has ever done it. I'm just saying it would be out of the ordinary if that were to happen because of the very special place that healings and miracles played in the first century. I mean, I've been in the church all my life, and I've never known anybody who's had the gift of healings or miracles. Now, maybe some of you have. If you have, come to me after service and talk to me about that. I'd be interested to know that. But most people that I know, most Christians I know, have just never encountered somebody who has had this gift and been able to exercise it on a regular basis. So no, we're not starting a miracle-working ministry team here at New Life. Verse 10, prophecy. To another, the workings of, of uh, miracles. To another, prophecy. Prophecy is simply the ability to speak God's word. God gives a revelation, and uh, the prophets were able to take that revelation and then apply it specifically to a situation, a contemporary situation. Uh, that gift finds its outlet today, I think, primarily through teaching and preaching. Uh, sometimes takes residence in those who just have the ability to just bring the word to bear, particularly on a person's individual situation, whatever it might be. Uh, verse 10, we also see the gift of discernment, or what Paul says, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Uh, it's the ability to be able to tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and a demonic spirit that takes a, a certain gift. You remember Jesus in Matthew 7, he said, some of you are going to come to me and say, didn't we do miracles in your name? And didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus is going to say, get away from me, I never knew you. Jesus had great discernment. He could tell that even though these people did these outwardly wonderful things, apparently those works did not come from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was able to see that. Some people have that ability. You know, False prophets come like sheep, right? I mean, they, they, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, clothing. So it can take patience. It can take discernment, a certain ability to be able to ferret out who is operating, ministering in the power of the Spirit and who is operating and ministering in a different kind of power. And so some people are given this 
ability. And then in verse 10, we also have the mention of tongues. Uh, to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Whereas prophecy is God's word coming to a person who then speaks that word, tongue seems to be the ability that some people have to utter certain words to God very often in some kind of unusual and unknown language. And so there are a number of debates about tongues as well as to whether this gift continues. There's debates about whether these tongues are foreign languages or some kind of angelic language. What I would like to point out here is that Paul couples kinds of tongues with interpretation of tongues. And he makes it clear later in this letter that if anybody speaks in tongues, there ought to be an interpreter there who can make sense of what the person speaking in tongues is saying. So I'm not going to get in great detail about tongues, but I will say that if you've ever been in an environment where someone has spoken in tongues, or if you ever get in that kind of environment, one of the first things you ought to look for is, is there an interpreter? Because if there's not an interpreter there, then that practice of tongues is not being practiced in a biblical way. The presence of an interpreter is essential to any kind of practice of tongues. Um, a lot of debate in our particular denomination, we, we don't practice tongues, and I would say something similar to what I said about healings and miracles. I'm not saying, I'm not going to say, I don't know if this is recorded on the internet, I hope I don't get in trouble with my presbytery, but I, I'm not going to say that no one ever speaks in tongues today. I'm, I'm not going to say that, but nor do I look for people to speak in tongues, and, and I don't seek to speak in tongues myself, and, and I never have. Uh, maybe that'll change, but I don't anticipate that. So those are the gifts that uh, Paul lays out for us. Now, in these other passages in the New Testament, there's other gifts that, that are listed in four other passages. So um, here's the other gifts that show up. Apostles, teachers, helps, administration, service, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, evangelism, pastors, and speaking. In the three other passages that I mentioned at the start of the message, these particular gifts show up. So no gift is or no list is exhaustive of all the gifts. And I think what we can take from that is, is this, that even when we put all the lists together, we still don't have an exhaustive list of all the gifts that God has given to the church. I think in the Bible we just have a, a sampling of some of the gifts that are used most often. But, but you might have a gift that's not listed here. You might have a gift that's, that's different, or that maybe is a little more unique to this particular age. Uh, that's one of the things the spiritual gift survey is going to help you figure out. Uh, but, but you might be asking, well, how, how do I know if it's a spiritual gift? And this is where I get back to the main point here. How do I know if this gift or this talent that I have is a spiritual gift, it goes back to, to this point. It, it depends on whether it contributes to the common good. That's the mark of a spiritual gift. If you have a talent and a gift and it builds up the church, it, it blesses people. When you exercise your gift, are, are people encouraged? 
Do they become convicted of sin and they want to turn from their sin? Do they come to understand the gospel better? Are they lifted up out of their doldrums? Are they given some kind of new passion to obey God? Do they find themselves longing now to get into the scriptures and want to get involved in the church? Does your gift in some way contribute to the common good of the church? If that's what's happening, then yeah, it's probably a spiritual gift. The common good. God gives gifts for the common good. One last thing. God also gives gifts by his sovereign grace. That's how the passage ends here in verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Notice it doesn't say as we will. (laughs) He apportions to each one individually as he wills. We don't get to choose what gifts we have. We don't get to choose how much of a gift we have. And we don't get to choose how much of a gift others get to have. God is free to distribute his gifts however he wishes. And to some he gives a few minor gifts, and to others he gives an abundance of gifts. And God in his sovereignty and in his grace has the right to do that. And we need to be okay with that. I mean, thinking of gifts in this way, that there are some things that we should be on guard against. One is envy. We look and we see someone else who's really good at something. They have a gift that I don't, and it bugs us, and it eats us up. Uh, here's a picture of envy. That's, that's Solieri from uh, the movie Amadeus. If you remember that movie from the 80s, Solieri was a composer, and Mozart was gifted so extraordinarily with the gift of music, and Solieri was just eaten up on the inside. And there's a point in the movie where he looks up to God and he says, from now on, God, you and I are enemies because you've chosen to give the gift that I want to that infantile, crummy little man or something like that, he says. (laughs) And he's just eaten up because you could never come to grips with the fact that he didn't get the gift that somebody else did. If God has a right to give gifts to whomever he wishes... And there's always going to be somebody else out there who has the gift that you like more than you. You're going to run into that person. We should also be on guard against pride. This is where, uh, kind of the opposite of gift, this is when God gives you a gift that he doesn't give to others. And then it's really easy to get kind of prideful and kind of haughty about that. And then you start wondering why everybody else doesn't have the same passion about your gift that that you do. And you can't understand why everybody isn't spending as much time pouring their efforts into your interest as you are. That's, That's pride. You need to be patient with those who haven't been gifted in the same way as you. And the last pitfall that we should be on guard against is complacency. If we see that God gives gifts as he wills, we come to understand that God has given you a particular gift, it could be easy for you then to say, I'm gifted at this, I don't have to work at it. It comes naturally to me. I'm not going to prepare for my lesson. I'm not going to get ready for this meeting. I'm just going to wing it. I can do it. I'm gifted at it. 
But remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.6, fan into flame the gift of God that was given to you. It's your responsibility to take your gift and make it better. So we need to be on guard against complacency as well. All based on this idea that God gives gifts to whom he wishes in the measure that he wishes by his sovereign grace. All right, so let me just ask you again, after all that having been said, do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know what you're gifted at? And are you using it in service to the church? If you'd grab um, one of those spiritual gift surveys that is close to you, there should be plenty. I think uh, the crew students are away on a retreat uh, this weekend, so um, we're down a little bit, so that means there's plenty of these surveys available, spiritual gifts surveys. I want to encourage you to spend some time this week with this survey. Um, there's a blue section in the beginning. That's a spiritual gifts test. It asks a number of questions about your interests and your abilities and what people have said about you. That's the blue section. Uh, it might take you a little bit of time, but I think it'll be worth it. And uh, at the end of that survey, you have the opportunity to line up your answers with a particular spiritual gift uh, that you have. And then step two, the green portion, um, allows you then to line up your spiritual gifts with the ministries that are available here at New Life. So we give you a description of the various ministries here and what they do. And you can look at your gift and pair that up and see where you might have a fit. And then step three, which is the yellow section in the back, that allows you then to communicate to us what you have discovered your gift to be and how you want to serve. And you can do that by filling out that yellow section with a pen and dropping it at the welcome booth in the survey box. Uh, there's also a number of options for you to do this online and uh, you'll see directions for that there uh, on the first page of the yellow section. By the way, these were compiled by Jesse and Jamie, who have the gift of administration <laughs> and did a, a great job in compiling those. So, friends, let me commend that to you. Find your spiritual gift. Find out what it is and use it in service to God's kingdom. Uh, there is nothing, again, more rewarding than doing what God has designed you to do on this earth and for his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank and praise you, Father, that uh, not only in your grace do you save us and redeem us, but you equip us, that your spirit gives to us all that we need to fulfill what you've called us to do. And we thank you for that. And I pray that these dear people, Lord, would come to understand more accurately how you've gifted them, and that as they put their gifts to work here in this church, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified and lifted up and that people would come and be loved and cared for, that the poor would be reached out to, the children would be taught your word, that many unbelievers would come to know Jesus as Savior, and that this would be a place where your kingdom is growing and forcefully moving in this community, Lord. That's our desire. We ask that you would make that happen in Jesus' name. Amen.